I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time to drive to work. And I've dropped my son off at camp again. Okay, so for today, um, I'm going to go back in the Wayback Machine and talk about... So magic... I talk about how magic constantly evolves. And one of those parts is the rules. That the rules of magic keep changing. And that while the basic rules are the same, you know, if you played an alpha and then you played, you know, 23 years later, a lot of it works. A lot of what you would know works, but not everything. And so today I'm going to talk about some of the, the discontinued rules. That some things that once upon a time you could do in magic, but you can no longer do. Um, and so first, before I get there, let me, let me philosophically explain what's going on. Um, why are there things in the rules that we abandon? Why do we change things? Well, obviously we change things, but why do we abandon things? Why are there things that used to work and no longer work? And the answer is, um, one of the big issues I always talk about is, I think, I think Magic's number one problem of all its issues. It's a great game. It's amazing. It's cool. It's fun. There's all sorts of awesome things about the game. But its biggest um, flaw, or Achilles heel, if you will, in my book, is it's um, what we talk about, the ability for people to, to learn it. Um, the, uh, what, what do I call it? Um, see, sometimes I'm driving and I have, I have a term I use every single time and then I'm blinking the term. Uh, we talk about the ability to access the game. What's the term I'm, I, anyway. I, it will come to me in a second and you guys are, you always yell at me when I forget the obvious terms that I know. Um, so one of the things we talk about is the ability for people to get into the game. How easy or hard is it? And Magic's big flaw is it's hard that, you know, from not knowing anything to knowing enough to play is, is a big deal. And the problem with Magic is because Magic keeps growing and keeps um, adding things that the, the ability to start to learn how to play becomes harder and harder. Um, if you, I did a whole podcast in New World Order. This is behind that. Um, but one of the things we realized is, look, part of evolving is we're going to want to add things. Sometimes we go, oh, this is really cool. You know, we make equipment or we make, we make something and we say, you know what? That's cool. That should just be a normal part of magic. So there are things in magic that get added along the way that weren't there in the beginning, that weren't something in alpha, but that we add. Well, in order for that to be true, in order for us to have the freedom of adding things from time to time, we also have to take things away. That if everything was just additive, uh, barrier to entry, <laughs> there, there it goes. Uh, barrier to entry talks about how easy it is to get into the game. Um, and the way I think about it is, there's the metaphor I use, which is, it's a ladder. That you want to climb a ladder. Well, how high could that first step be that it's, you're going to use the ladder? Even if you look up the ladder and go, that's an awesome ladder, that's an amazing ladder. If that first step is just too high, you don't use the ladder. And that one of the things we're always working about with, you know, we want to keep the barrier to entry, I mean... Magic is a complicated game. I think a lot of people worry that like, somehow we're going to uh, keep it from being complicated. It's so inherently complicated. I'm not worried. I'm never worried about it not being complicated enough. It's a complicated game. What I am worried about is just it being too much and people not being able to get into the game. Because it's a fun game, but there is a lot of reasons to sort of shy away. And so um, basically... Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about some rules that once existed in Magic, talk about why they existed, and then talk about why we got rid of them. Um, and in some cases, uh, I was a lot of them I, I, I had a hand in. 
one of my big things is trying to make sure that magic sort of like, in order to advance, in order to give ourselves room to grow, in order to be able to add things to the game, we have to find rules that no longer fulfill a function. That's wrong. Rules that aren't, rules that the busyness of learning them are worth what the rule does. Um, so we're going to start with today, Mana Burn. So Mana Burn's an interesting story because during the 6th edition rules, which were the biggest rules changes the game had, um, Bill Rose contemplating get, getting rid of Mana Burn. And I fought to save Mana Burn. I really said, no, 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 it's, it's an important part of the game, and I fought to save it. And then years later, for Magic 2010, I was the champion of getting rid of it. So this is a good example of... So, okay, let me explain Mana Burn for those who might not know what Mana Burn is, because it's actually been a while since Magic 2010. Um, the idea is that you put mana in your mana pool, and it clears at the end of each phase. Um, I just get confused of the, of the steps in the phases. Anyway, um, so the idea, uh, when you have your combat phase, at the end of the combat phase... Uh, you know, you're, you're, or the end of the main phase, your mana clears. So the idea is, if you have mana in your pool, it goes away. The idea is you can't just leave mana in your pool and it doesn't just float there forever. Sort of for bookkeeping purposes, the game occasionally cleans out the mana pool. Now it used to be, what Mana Burn said is, if the game ever cleared out the mana pool and there was mana in the mana pool, then you took damage. So for example, let's say... Um, I usually this happens because you have something that produces more than one mana. So I have um, some mana flare. It was uh, an alpha. It was a red enchantment that all your lands tap for an extra mana of whatever color they tap for. Um, we made a green version, but I'm blanking on the green name. I'm blanking on names today. Um, okay, so the idea was I tap my mountain, I get two red instead of one red. Well, what say for example I have mana flare in play and I need to cast a spell that costs five mana, and I have three lands. Well, I can tap my three lands, add six mana to my mana pool, spend five of it to cast my spell, but then I have one extra mana. And let's say I have nowhere to spend that mana. Then when the mana pool got cleared, I would take one damage. Right? Actually, I don't even think it was damage. I think it was loss of life. I would lose one life. Um, and the idea was, it was a flavor thing. It's kind of like you have to manage your mana, and if you don't manage your mana... Um, it can come back to bite you. you, you like, it's sort of, there's a reason why you have to be careful. Um, the problem we run into, though, is the game without some external force, really you use your mana when you need to use it. You don't tend to put it in your pool unless you're going to use it. And it's only when you have a lot of mana producers that produce more than one mana that you sort of overextend how much mana you need and have, then have mana floating in your pool. Um, in general, magic has pulled back how many things make more than one mana. Um, you know, we don't regularly make even artifacts to produce more than one mana. We don't do a lot of rituals. We don't do a lot of mana flare type things. You know, we do it a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and the perfect example of, of it is, uh, I forget what set it was. We were trying to figure out whether mana flare, like I wanted mana flare to go because I thought it wasn't worth it. But I said, you know what, I should, I should have some, I should experience it to understand whether or not we needed it. So what I said to my design team, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop playing with mana, with mana burn. So um, <coughs> what I want you to do is stop playing with mana burn, and then, you know, after a month, we'll talk through and see what, how, how different it feels. Uh, and I think my team at the time had six people on it. So a month later, we got together, and we have been playtesting for a month. We'd done, you know, this was later in the process, so we, I think we had weekly playtests. 
Um, and a bunch of us had not only done it there, but had done it in other places we were playtesting. And so I said to them, okay, a month later, okay, let's regroup of the six people. How was it different? And for all six of us, for a month of playing, it never came up. No one, like, not having man burn just didn't happen. It didn't, it didn't matter. And so I was like, oh, okay. So why, you know, if we could play, if six people could play for a month and it not come up, it's just like, that's not, that's not happening a lot, you know. Um, and I understand there's older formats where you're more likely for that to happen. Um, but, I mean, we really, the magic rules have to be for the present and not the past. And so we talked a lot about it. I mean, I, I pitched the idea and it was decided that, okay, it's flavorful, but it really is something that you have to learn early on in the game, and it just doesn't matter. I mean, remember when I first learned Mana Burn? I didn't even understand Mana Burn, because when I first learned, um, I had the little alpha rule book, and I didn't have a mana flare, and I didn't have a soul ring, and I had nothing that produced two mana. So I, for the life of me, could not understand what the rule meant. I, I literally didn't understand it. And it wasn't until I think I saw Mana Flare that I'm like, oh, there's a way you could have extra mana in your pool. I didn't even understand how that could happen. Um... So we decided and we got rid of it. And we said, you know what? You know, if you want mana floating at the end, yes, there's a little less mana resourcing, but it wasn't even amazing gameplay. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of like you had to manage it. And it, 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 it sometimes affect deck building a little bit, and sometimes it would affect play a little bit, but it, it really didn't come up much. And I understand there's decks where it matters. I'm, I'm not saying it never, ever matters in all of Magic, but it doesn't matter very much. And... It's definitely it's one of those rules that people learned early on because when they were learning about mana, they would learn this rule. And it's just like, it's one less thing to learn about when you're learning about the mana system, which is already complicated. Just one less thing to learn about. So, mana burn went away. Okay. Uh, another one, here's one that... Um, so, I'm going to talk about some of the early ones and then I'll get some of the later ones. Um, another one that goes back to alpha that went away. Uh, so, the next one we'll talk about went away during 6th edition. Um, so once upon a time, if I had an artifact, a non-creature artifact, and I tapped it, it turned off. So for example, um, what was uh, very famously used was used with, you would use it in combination with Icy Manipulator, which was an artifact. Uh, it cost, um, what was it, four to play, one and tap, tap target permanent, I believe. Um, and so the idea is I could put on an artifact that had some sort of global effect. Um, Howling Mine was one of the... Howling Mine and um, Winter Orb were the two. So Howling Mine says everybody during the upkeep draws an extra card. Winter Orb says players uh, can only untap, I think, one land each turn. Um, and so the idea was that if I put out Winter Orb or I put out Howling Mine and I had an Ice Manipulator or some way to tap it, what, what would happen is if it was a positive effect like Howling Mine, I would make sure that on my turn I got a draw extra card, but that I would tap it before my turn was over. So on your turn, it was tapped and you wouldn't get a draw an extra card. Or if it was something negative like a Winter Orb where it prevented things from untapping, I would let you have the Winter Orb in effect so you only tap one thing a turn. And at the end of your turn, I tap it so all my things would untap. And so... Um, Anyway, I think the, the flavor of it was kind of like, oh, well, you, you, there's a way to turn off artifacts. Uh, and there's neat interactions in the, you know, the, the cases I'm talking about. Um, but the problem we ran into is we kept running into trouble because artifacts tapped. Um, it was a real hard thing to build around because you would try to build artifacts that did things, but the idea that someone could, like, 
The idea that you would make an effect and it was a balanced effect because it affected everybody, but then a player could just turn it off on the appropriate time, it was really hard to cost and appropriately make them. Um, and we also tended to forget. Like, there's a classic case where, um, what was it? Um, at the very first Invitational, um, Sands of Time, which was in Visions, I think, um, we had, uh, at the very first Invitational, uh, for the very first time, we had uh, a format where they were, I think standard, where they were able to play um, Visions for the first time ever. And there's this broken deck with Sands of Time, because Sands of Time did all this craziness, but then if you just shut it off, then in your turn it didn't do the craziness. And so, you know, the card was balanced, assuming like everybody would have to deal with this craziness. But, you know, the fact that they turned off just meant, nah, it, we couldn't really make those kind of cards. Um, and I, I would definitely be the champion of getting rid of this rule because it just, I mean, I understand the flavor. It's like, oh, you can turn your artifacts off and now they don't work. But it really made it hard for us to make them. Um, it really was a huge developmental problem. And it was the kind of thing that, like, didn't, like, you would learn it and you would, like, one of the things in general we try to get rid of are rules that when you learn, you're like, what, really? Really? Oh, okay, I guess if people say so, you know. Things that don't quite feel like they're real rules. Uh, and this one definitely had a bit of that feeling where you tell somebody you could turn things off. And also, the fact that it worked on non-creatures but didn't work on creatures, or the fact that what exactly something turned off meant, was, was, it was complicated. Uh, and the idea is, let's just let artifacts be artifacts. And what we did, our compromise was, um, we took a few of the artifacts that really mattered that you turned them off, and we changed their text so, so it said, when I'm tapped, this is true. So, um, it, like, so for example, what we did with uh, Howling Mine, Howling Mine said, as long as Howling Mine is untapped, all creatures draw two cards. And so in the few cards where it mattered, we just built it into the card rather than building into the rules. But here's a funny thing that happened. We eroded a couple cards, Howling Mine and Winter Orb were the two big ones. And what happened was Howling Mine was a card that we printed again. So when we printed again, we put that text on it. So there are a bunch of different basic sets, core sets, that have the Howling Mine with, you know, as long as Howling Mine is untapped. But Winter Orb we stopped making because it was too strong. So we never, ever printed it with that text. So at some point, we decided to stop doing functional rata. So we went back and we changed back any card that had functional rata. But because Howling Mind had been reprinted, and they're actually the most recent printing had that text on it, we left Howling Mind alone. But because Winter Orb never had been printed under that text, we changed it back. And there was a lot of uh, grumbling. Because really, that interaction made Winter Orb much more powerful. The fact that I could affect my opponent and not affect myself really made it crazy strong. Um, but the fact that we had never printed in that version and we wanted the cards to match what they said, we put the errata in. Okay, here's another rule that most people don't know. So in uh, early days of magic, so let's say I attack with a creature and you block with your creature. If I tapped your creature, so block tappers didn't deal damage. Still blocked the creature, but it didn't deal damage. So what would happen is Let's say I had a Twiddle or an Ice Manipulator. Let's say a Twiddle so you didn't know it was coming. Um, twiddle was an instant that would tap or untap off permanent. Um, so let's say I had a Twiddle in my hand and I attack with my 2-2 and you block with your 2-2 planning to trade. Well, if I use my Twiddle and tap your creature, now your creature, because it's tapped and it's a blocker, doesn't deal damage to my creature and I kill it without it killing me. So it allowed you to turn sort of tap effects into combat tricks. Um, and once again, I, I think there's some flavor there. I mean, a lot of these rules came from, oh, it was kind of cute, it was kind of flavorful. 
And there was a point in time where understanding this rule actually, creature combat a lot had to revolve around understanding this rule and effects that tap really meant something. Um, the problem was, though, that once I had a tap effect, it really got kind of hard to deal with. And it was another one of those kind of rules that you have to explain to somebody and they'd go, what? And you go, yeah, yeah, this is how the rule works. And they go, really? Um, and so we decided also in 6th edition that the rule just wasn't worth it. That it was, it was one of these complicated rules. It's like you kind of had to understand the moment how it worked. And not that it in a vacuum wasn't an interesting rule or didn't, didn't provide some interesting things. Um, but it was the kind of rule that was so obscure. Like one of the things that would happen a lot is more advanced players would get in a tournament or something and they would use this on a less advanced player and they would they would think they were making it up. They're like, what do, you, what do you mean? You tapped my creature. So I blocked you, didn't I? Uh, and it didn't make sense to people. So we just took it out because it was confusing people. Um, so another thing early magic did, uh, this is kind of phasing out a card type, I guess, uh, is magic, the timing rules used to work differently and magic used to have seven card types, but no planeswalker. In its place, we had interrupts. So what interrupts were, and this has to do with kind of how, how, how the timing worked early on. Early magic had uh, what we call batches rather than the stack. Um, things sort of got batched together. It's, it's complicated. In fact, there's a famous um, Tom Wiley, who was one of the original rules managers, um, because the system got so complex pre-sixth edition rules, he made a chart, uh, and it was, looked like a rat maze, and it was just so complicated that you know, like we were almost making fun of how complicated. Like Tom put it in a rat maze, um, like do this, but if this, do that, but if that, do this, and it was really early magic. A lot of the rules had been sort of um, patched together. It's like let's answer this card, let's answer that card, let's answer that card, and like. The rules weren't consistent between the cards. They just kind of were consistent within each card. Um, and it made a really weird rule set of rules to understand. That's what 6th edition did, was to kind of clean up the rules. But anyway, what interrupts were is there used to be uh, sorceries, instants, and interrupts. And interrupts, in the early days, you could not respond. Um, an interrupt was a spell that you couldn't respond to except with other interrupts. So the idea is I cast a spell. If you cast a counter spell... Um, uh, the way it would work is you, um, you, you couldn't deal with my interrupt unless you had an interrupt. So if I counter your spell, which is an interrupt, unless you had another interrupt, usually it was like a spell countering spell, um, you couldn't respond to me. So it allowed... Um, but the problem was um, that it just caused some weird things to happen. Like, for example, there was a card called Red Elemental, Red Elemental Blast and Blue Elemental Blast. And what the cards did is they countered, so a red elemental blast countered a blue spell or destroyed a blue permanent, and blue elemental blast countered a, um, sorry, the blue one countered a red spell or destroyed a red permanent, and the red one countered a blue spell or destroyed a, red, a blue permanent. Um, the problem was because it countered spells, it had to be an interrupt. But, but it could destroy things. And so when you destroy things, people were very used to being able to respond to things Normally, for example, let's say you had a, um, so Tim, a prodigal sorcerer, could tap to deal one damage. So let's say I had a lightning bolt man, which did three damage. So you say, okay, I'm going to use my prodigal sorcerer, and I say, okay, I'll hit it with my lightning bolt. The way it would work is it would deal one damage to me, and I would destroy it with a lightning bolt. Not too far away from how it works now. Um, although damage, damage worked differently back then. But nonetheless, um, the end result was Tim did damage, and you destroyed the Tim. 
Now, let's say I use red elemental blast on it to destroy a blue permanent. What would happen is you would tap him. I would use the red elemental blast. It was an interrupt speed, if you will. I mean, speed's a little, uh, but it was an inter- it function as an interrupt, meaning that you stopped it before the effect ever happened. So you tapped him to damage me. I go, ha ha! No, you don't. And there's no damage. Um, that confused people. So uh, interrupt for a little while. There's a little area where we had mana sources where cards that. Um, produce mana or spells that produce mana had a special quality to them so that they couldn't be affected um, but that ended up going away um, but anyway so interrupts got phased out just for sort I mean when we revamped to the stack it just was easier to talk about how things can interact with other things and it ended up working fine that we didn't need to have interrupts okay damage on the stack so damage on the stack was something that wasn't didn't start the game we added it. When we added the six edition rules, we added the idea of the stack. And the stack is a last in, first out, which means if I cast a spell, then in response, you can cast a spell. In the response, I can cast a spell. In response, you can cast a spell. And then the effects happen from the last effect, and they work back to the first effect. So the idea is I could do something, and you could respond to me doing something. Well, in order to be consistent, we decided to have creature damage work the same way. That damage went on the stack. So what that meant was, if I dealt damage to you, I could say, okay, I put the damage on the stack. But what that allowed is there was a lot, a lot of weird quirkiness. Because if the creature somehow disappeared, it didn't matter, the damage was already there. So what it allowed you to do is, I could get in a fight, I'm about to kill the creature, and then I sack the creature to do an effect. But the damage is still there, so I still kill the creature. So let's say you attack with a 2-2 and I block with a 2-2, and I have some means to sacrifice a creature to draw a card. I would both kill your creature and draw a card. But you're like, wait a minute, wasn't I there to do the damage? Sure. Well, wasn't I sacrificed to draw the card? Sure. Well, how can those both be true? Uh, and it was confusing. And so um, damage on the stack was the, was, the, was the quintessential, you know, beginner thinks you're pulling their leg. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to them. Um, and what we found was things that are just that non-intuitive were... were you have to kind of learn it works because it doesn't make any sense that it works are not great for the game. And also, in general, damage from the stack was created this thing where you were always making decisions at the last possible moment because you weren't punished for not doing that. And then in the new system, now it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I could, let's say, same situation where I both can block your creature or I can sack it to draw a card. I got to choose now. Do I want to destroy your creature or do I want to draw the card? I don't get both. I can't both like, sacrifice my creature to stop you and sacrifice my creature to draw cards. I can't do both things. Creatures have to be somewhere. Um, and so damage on the stack went away. Um, another thing that uh, once upon a time, you were not allowed, you had to tap your mana before you could cast your spells. And if you cast your spells first, it was against the rules. In fact, there's a Pro Tour, the second Los Angeles Pro Tour, uh, the one that Tommy Hobie won, the first one, Tommy Hobie, Tommy Hobie, also won in Rome. Um, he actually won because his opponent, Dave Mills, was disqualified in the finals. Why? For casting spells before tapping his mana. Now be aware, he'd been warned about it many, many, many times. It had been escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated. But nonetheless, a, 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 a finals of a pro tour happened. You know, got, someone gets disqualified because, the, you know. And the funny thing was, in the situation that was going on, there's nothing he could do. He wasn't trying to fool anybody. Like, he literally just got excited that he was able to play his card. 
I think he finally got the land he needed and he threw it down and just played the card because he was just so excited to get to play the card. You know, and what happened was he wasn't used to tapping his mana before he played his spells. Just at home, that's not how he did it. And so it just, he could not overcome the sort of, um, I don't know, just, what's the word I want? Uh, the habit of just doing it that way. Um, so another rule, uh, the mulligan rules changed over time. In fact, mulligan rules change a couple times. Uh, we just changed it recently. So now um, you get a scry. If you mulligan, you get a scry at the end. That was a, that's a new thing. But originally, by the way, the, what we call the Paris Mulligan, which is you can draw a new hand, but you get one less card. That didn't show up until PT Los Angeles. Um, it is oddly named. PT Paris was the first constructed format to use it, PT to use it, but not the first P to use it. We used it at LA before, which was limited. Um, and then the reason it was used in the PT is a funny story is we wanted to test the grounds and we thought it was safer to test it in a limited format. So for Pro Tour Los Angeles, we decided to test it. Then when they sent out the stuff for Pro Tour Paris, somebody forgot to change the floor rules because we always send the floor rules to the players and it got left in. And I'm like, uh-oh, it got left in. By the time we figured it, we felt it was too late to change it, that people had already made deck choices and stuff. So it's like, okay, well, let's see. We wanted to test it and... Luckily for us, it turned out okay. Um, but because it was, the first, it was the first Pro Tour that was constructed, the, the Mulligan got named after it. So Pro Tour Paris. Which was designed, by the way, by Matt Hyra, who used to work at Wizards. Sorry, he's a, he's a game designer, doesn't work at Wizards anymore. But back in the day, he was, uh, long ago, worked at Wizards. Anyway, the original Mulligan, if you go back way back to Elf, sorry, I have the hiccups. Uh, I'm almost to work, so hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll work through these hiccups. Um, the way that the Mulligan used to work is if you drew no land or all land, um, you could mulligan once. Um, and I, the original one was no land or all land, and then eventually it got changed, I think, to zero, one, six, or seven, meaning if you got either all of something or none of something or one of something or one of nothing, you know, that... That, that's when you roll. And in the old mulligan roll, uh, you just drew a new hand, but you only, you only do it once. So let's say I draw a hand and I have seven lands. I can get a mulligan. I get to draw a new hand of seven cards. But no matter what that hand is, that's it. That's what I, that's what I got. I can't change it in again. Um, and we realized that it was inconsistent enough. So uh, Matt Hyra came up with the Paris mulligan. And we ended up uh, making use of that. Um... A few other things. I'm, I'm almost to work. Um, uh, damage prevention window. So let, let me tell you this one. Uh, so let's say, for example, I have a creature. Uh, I, I use old school. Let's say I have a grizzly bear. Or no, I, I, have, I have a hill giant. I have a 3-3 three, three hill giant. And you have a lightning bolt that does three damage. And I, in my hand, I have a, uh, a giant growth. Okay, so right now, it's last and first out. So if I have a giant growth... If you cast a lightning bolt to destroy my giant growth, and I and I sorry to, to destroy my hill, and I have a giant growth, well, you try to destroy it. In response, I grow it. It's a six-six. Lightning bolt hits it. Not enough damage. It's not dead. But in the reverse, if I try to giant growth, that I have a three-three hill giant, I try to make it a six-six. In response, you use your lightning bolt. You do three damage before it grows is destroyed. Under the damage batch windows, you didn't care about damage until the end of the, the end of the batch. So what happened was okay. So I'm going to go, um, you're going to, you're going to try to 
I use a lightning bolt to my hill giant, I giant growth it, it survives like it does now. But let's do the reverse. I giant growth my hill giant in response, you try to lightning bolt it, the lightning bolt's there, but the damage waited, waited to the end of the batch. So no matter what, if I had a giant growth, if you had a lightning bolt and I had giant growth, there was no way to kill my hill giant under the old system. You just couldn't do it because the damage waited till the end. In fact, batches, I don't, I was going to try to see if I could explain batches today, but I realized that I, I haven't used batches in so long that my knowledge of them is super fuzzy. Um, before the stack, the spells kind of were, were clumped together, but the, it, you would have a batches of effects and they were resolved in a certain way, but I don't, I don't have the expertise to properly explain batches to you, so I opted not to. Um, some other small rules. It used to be, for example, that you didn't check for life total till end of phase. So, for example, that if I got down to zero, but I could get myself back up before the end of the phase, I didn't die. Uh, and we changed that rule just to make it simpler. Like, you get to zero, you die. Don't get to zero. Um, there were... Um, the way the phases work and stuff, like combat wasn't its own fa- phase originally. It was just any time during... Anytime during the main phase, if something you could do, you could just attack if something you could do. Um, so anyway, there, there's a lot. I mean, what, one of the things I'm trying to point out today is um, magic's a wonderful game, and but just the magic as you know it, it keeps changing. That we keep sort of fine-tuning things. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about things that got added to the game. That's a whole separate podcast. But today I was talking about well. Things get added and things also get taken away. So today was just a little peek in some of the things that once upon a time you could do. Once upon a time you had mana in your pool, you took damage. Or, sorry, you lost life. Once upon a time, if I blocked and you tapped my creature, I didn't do damage. You know, once upon a time, if I had an artifact and I got tapped, it turned off and didn't work anymore. These are just things that once upon a time used to happen in magic, but no longer do. So anyway, a little, a little trip in the past. I hope you guys... Um, one, ah, sorry, one of the things that I like to do is I like to sort of, um, a lot of people I know who listen to podcasts haven't been playing Magic for 23 years, so it's fun to look back sometimes and just talk about <gasps> some old ways and things happen. Um, but anyway, I'm at my parking space, and I, I promise I will take care of my hiccups. Um, but we all know what that means. It means the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I hope you enjoyed the glimpse of the past today, but it's time for me to go. So, see you all next time.